Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Welcome to the College Football Survivor Show, where playoff survival is always on the line. Here's Shahan J. Haraja and Babak Hayeri. Hey, everybody, this is the College Football Survivor Show, where we're all about the race for the College Football Playoff Championship. I'm Bob Ekhairi, and I'm joined in this excellent adventure by Shehan Jayaraja, National College Football Writer for CBS Sports. You can find us on X and TikTok at CFB Survivor Show, where we have video highlights, run polls, and you can give us your feedback. We're a podcast. We always appreciate it when you take a moment to like, rate, and subscribe wherever you get your shows. You know, the good reviews just help expand our audience. The national championship is less than a week away. A champion will be crowned. A single college football survivor will stand. The two of us will be covering the game in Houston, and we're going to preview it today. Sean, how are you feeling? Are you feeling the hype for this one? Yeah, this is a great game. We had an opportunity to talk about it a little bit on Tuesday's show, but such a unique opportunity, I think, for college football. Washington versus Oregon, two teams that haven't won titles since we started having title games in 1998. Two teams that are outside of the top 10 in the 247 talent composite, haven't had top five recruiting classes uh, in consecutive years. Just so many things that are unusual. And I want to be clear, when I say all these things, if I have this right... These two teams went through via the talent composite numbers one, three, five, six, eight, and ten, I think, in order to get all the way to the title game. So there is no question they have been battle tested against the best that college football has to offer. Uh, it's an incredible game. It's an interesting matchup. The the semifinal games were so much strength on strength, right? It, it was two physical teams versus two high-powered offenses. This time, we finally get the contrast. And I'll tell you what, the other part that I want to mention about this is that Michigan specifically is a team that was built to beat Ohio State. Well, Washington has a lot of 2020, 2021 Ohio State to it. They do some things better, I think, but it's going to be a great matchup. I, I can't wait to see what happens. Absolutely. We have teams that I think have had an unusual number of doubters, just pound for pound. I mean, every team that's run for a championship has said they have doubters. I st we all joke about Georgia last season, you know, saying that people were doubting them. Like, who is doubting you? You know, <laughs> every time it was almost like a rhetorical question. But here, I mean, we had teams that started in the preseason top 10 in the AP poll. They debuted midseason in the top five of the CFP rankings, and they made it all the way to the end undefeated. Yet... Even going into the semifinals, there were a lot of doubts. Even though sometimes people view them as favored in, in Vegas, they were still being doubted. Um, Michigan's had, you know, the classic arguments of their so-called weak schedule, you know, all the off-the-field stuff that was going on, and, you know, the question of whether or not they could finally win a semifinal game. Washington's had their own little off days, perceived weak defenses, and I think just a general... I don't want to say disrespect. I think I'm going to be more charitable. Just, just ignorance of the quality of football in the Pacific Northwest. So we see these teams that have finally made it. 
There isn't another team, I think, on the other side of the field for either of them where people are going to say like, oh, okay, now they're going to finally get, they're going to finally, everyone's going to see that this is really going to be a, a Texas team that's going to win or an Alabama team that's going to win or Georgia or whoever you want to put over there. We finally have two teams that have been dealing with these doubts all season long, and one of them's going to win. I mean, quite frankly, and I don't want to, neither team is ever going to say like, there, there is no consolation in losing, but both teams are going to look at this as a triumphant season. Michigan for finally getting past the semifinal. And really, you could argue Washington the same way because they have been in the playoff before under Chris Peterson. They didn't quite make it, but now it's like Washington is in the championship game. Undefeated, there's no doubt that both of these teams made it and earned their way in. The fan hype has got to be off the chart. I mean, Michigan fans, I was just thinking about it. I mean, they've been extremely high for this. Three different, you know, playoff, three playoff runs in a row. Each year, they probably had, like, plan alpha for if they make it into the title game. Last two times, didn't work out. So this year, it's like, okay, unlock. You know, everyone's ripping open that envelope with the plan of what to do in an emergency. And I can't even imagine how what the what their logistics. I actually know a guy. Immediately after the game, he's like, my boss gave me Monday off of work. I'm going to go to the game, and it'll be great. I'm like, oh, cool. You know, you should probably get Tuesday off of work, too, right? This game goes really late. You live in, you know, San Diego, He's like, no, no, I got a 5 a.m. flight. I'm going to be back right in time for work the next day. And I'm like, hot dang, dude. All right. I would personally not do that. <laughs> I'm like, don't do that. I would never do that. And I'm thinking like Washington, too. I mean, they sold out their 20000 immediately. There's been a little bit of a drop in ticket prices, but that makes sense because I'm pretty sure Texas fans and Alabama fans who are very close to Houston were buying up tickets themselves like mad only to find out, oh, no, it's the other guys that are going. So there's so much hype in that. I, I mean. One other thought I had just in general, these two fan bases, because I was thinking about how to describe Washington fans, people who aren't really familiar, I think, with the Pac-12 in general, uh, may it rest in peace. You know, they are a little bit like the the Michigan fans of the, uh, I think, of the West, because they're a good program. They've historically been great. They haven't won a ton of national championships, but they get to that level. They win a lot. Um you know to respect them, and their fans tend to be a little bit more calm. They're not quite, you know, USC fans, we are the full range of rational and irrational. Oregon fans have also kind of, they're a little more new money. They also tend to kind of come to that approach as well. Washington fans always just have this really calm, like, no, we are we are Washington. We deserve to do it. We are a great program. And the more I thought about it, I'm like, wow, they're like Michigan, I don't want to call them Michigan light. That's insulting. But, you know, they're like West Coast Michigan. So, I imagine a lot of of martinis, a lot of of respect over wine and cocktails in Houston before this game and perhaps even after this game between the two fan bases as they head into it. Yeah, I'll tell you what. Uh, I think that the biggest thing that could happen for Washington is for Jeff Bezos to sit down and say, hey, look, that's my that's my Seattle team. I'm going to be a booster of them from from here on out. No, but I, I think that people don't understand because they are far away because they haven't been consistently national, uh, nationally relevant in this modern era. Like, there's a lot of Washington fans, and they are very passionate. They do not take a backseat to anybody. But like you said, there's going to be a level of price dropping just because of proximity, right? Because they have to travel all the way from the West Coast to Houston, Texas, whereas Texas fans were having to travel from Houston, Texas to Houston, Texas, potentially to, to travel to that game. Uh, and, and so, I mean, you know, when you talk about the overall cost, like they're paying a lot of money to come here, even if it's not just reflected in the ticket price. So I expect a great environment. I mean, 
Look, I have been one of the biggest Washington fans in the country this season. I still don't know that I expected them to be playing for a national championship on uh, on January eighth in Houston, Texas. I'm I'm very excited about it. What the? I mean, let's let's go ahead. Let's get into it. Absolutely. So I think first let's take a look at what's going to happen when Washington is on the offense because we know the strength they have there. We know. All the names. We know Michael Penix. We know Roma Dunze, Jalen Polk, Jalen McMillan, Jeremy Bernard, you know, <laughs> tight end Jack Westover. There's so many names there. I mean, for me, looking at it, the question that I, I think on everyone's mind is actually Dylan Johnson, because we saw that injury that ended the Sugar Bowl. Well, nearly ended the Sugar Bowl, nearly changed the entire face of the Sugar Bowl. Luckily for him. The, the Huskies defense managed to step it up and pull off the uh, pull off the victory. We've had some updates at this point. Again, we're recording this about midweek, but pretty soon afterwards, you know, we heard from after immediately after the game, he re-aggravated an injury and he had some injury issues heading into this uh, into this game in the Sugar Bowl. But the latest update from Ryan Grubb is that they expect him to play. Now, that is... You know, my background is I'm a lawyer. There's a lot of room to read into that. What does that mean? He's expected to play. He's going to do the ceremonial kneel down at the end. That That's technically playing. Are we going to see a Rui Rudiger's kind of moment at the end of the game? But um, he, in my mind, is the biggest question. How healthy is he going to be? Because the people behind him, we got well, like Will Nixon, Tybo Rogers. He was not a Bakersfield boy, by the way, my hometown. But I, still, I wasn't entirely impressed when he was on the field. But he's a young guy. What are your thoughts? Yeah, well, come on. You got to mention the other guy, uh, Waco, Texas' own Will Nixon. Now, I, I will say he's only a, a Waco, Texas kid because his dad, Jeff Nixon, was the offensive coordinator under uh, Matt Rule. So he didn't actually grow up in Waco, but he's listed on the roster as a Waco product. So we do have to mention that. So the thing is, right, Dylan Johnson, nobody would say he's one of the best running backs in the entire country, but he's been one of the most important players, I think, on Washington's team. Uh, not necessarily just because he's a downhill physical runner, but he's just somebody who's able to steal yards for Washington. That's been his biggest impact over the, the season. You know, he transferred in from Mississippi State this year. He's listed at 218 pounds, and he plays every bit of it. You see, you know, you saw at times in this game, right? I mean, I remember there was a sequence late in the third quarter against Texas where I'm like, Guys, you, the biggest thing you don't want to do in this game is try to challenge Tavondre Sweat and Byron Murphy. He did it, and he converted two first downs going right up the middle of that Texas defense. Now, I actually think that Texas is a little better against the run than Michigan is, which is not a knock against Michigan. I just think that Texas is that good against the run. They're that physical. They have that big bodies. But I think that... You know, if, if Dylan Johnson's out, that changes the complexion of the game quite a bit, or if he's limited even. You know, they, they said he was uh, dealing with this foot injury coming into the game, so maybe it'll just be comparable to what it was uh, against Texas, which was 20, uh, 21 carries for 49 yards and two touchdowns. But I think they need him to be able to carry the ball more than 15 times because you look at these other two guys, I think that there's an argument that uh, that Tybo and Will are maybe even a little more dynamic as runners, but that's not really what Washington needs. They need somebody who's able to take advantage in short yardage situations. They need somebody who's able to convert uh, convert short plays into touchdowns. One thing that I, I noticed yesterday, because I actually wrote uh, the, the story whenever they said that Dylan Johnson is likely to play, is that he scored 16 touchdowns this season. 
10 of them came against ranked opponents, including, by the way, two touchdowns in the Sugar Bowl against Texas, one of the best rush defenses in the entire country. If not, by the way, the best rush defense in the entire country. And two touchdowns against Oregon, against one of the other best rush defenses in the entire country. So he is a big-time player for them. Uh, You know, if he is limited, right, I mean, where you're going to see that most is you're going to see Michigan, I think, try to collapse things much quicker, right? Chris Jenkins uh, on the defensive line for them, interior lineman, he is one of the more dynamic interior guys that they have. He's somebody who I think is able to eat players up. And if he's out, I expect that we see a lot more Jalen McMillan and Jack Westover, the tight end, in the short passing game. I think they're going to try to move things around, spread out that Washington or spread out that Michigan defense rather, and try to make the game just a little bit easier so they're able to set up some of their longer stuff. That's a great question because, I mean, in your opinion, how do you think? Because, I mean, that the big, the other big matchup in all of this, I mean, before I think the Johnson injury, I was more interested in how, you know, can that offensive line for Washington hold up as well as they did against Texas, facing what may not have, you know, the the Devondre Sweat may not have the, uh, the 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 Brian Murphys on the thing, but the, the Michigan defensive line is tremendous. And you can argue, especially they're the ones that, in my opinion, really helped win the game in, in overtime against Alabama. How are they going to be doing, do you think, in pass protection? Um, you know, there was a great quote. I think it was Jenkins, actually, because he's such a quote machine. You know, he's like, you know, well, we'll, we'll do what we can to, to put pressure on him. You know, we, we, they were like, they admit he doesn't run as much. I'm like, hey, he's not going to run. I mean, there's one thing to contain Jalen Milrow, but we watched what was going on in that Sugar Bowl and, you know, that, that sixth sense that, that Penix has to kind of scramble around into the pocket and just get enough room to, to, to throw those passes. How do you think they're going to match up? Yeah, you know, what's interesting is with Michael Penix Jr., you're talking about a player who obviously is not necessarily a runner, but he is as good at evading the pass rush as anybody in the entire country. You know, you look at Michigan, uh, they had five sacks in the first half against Alabama. That will not happen against Washington. Uh, also, I don't think that that Michigan's necessarily going to send guys the same way against this Joe Moore award-winning offensive line as maybe they did against Alabama. Because once you get to Jalen Milrow, you can get him flustered. We saw that on the last play of the game. Uh, the other part of this, too, Parker Brailsford, uh, Washington center, he can snap the ball. It's probably going to help a little bit. <laughs> that, that, that could change the complexion of the game just a little bit. But, you know, again, when you're talking about uh, the pressure that they got, one of the things that I love so much about what Michigan did to get pressure was they did it in different ways. They didn't just run their base stuff. So they, they got pressure from their linebackers, right? Michael Barrett had a sack. He, he's a linebacker for them. Uh, they used, obviously, their rotation of guys. That was something Aaron McMahon told us about a whole lot, especially at defensive end when he came and visited us on the program a couple weeks ago. Uh, they used a lot of stunts. That was something that I don't know that I expected, but it was a great way to take advantage of an Alabama offensive line that is huge but doesn't necessarily move well. I don't know if we're going to see the same thing, though. In this matchup. And the reason for that is I think that Washington is a little more undersized on the offensive line. You know, Parker Brailsford's only 275. He's actually a redshirt freshman, but but he's a really good player. He's somebody who's, who's impressive. Uh, he does a great job of helping. Now, the, the other guys are big. I, I mean, Nate Kaleppo, 327. Julius Bulow, 311. Uh, Troy Fatanu, who's their best overall lineman, mm-hmm. 317. So it's not that they're undersized as a unit, but 
They're a little smaller than an offensive line like Alabama, but they make up for it with their agility. They're able to move. They're able to pull. Uh, Again, something I mentioned on, on last week's show, they are obviously a good unit on their own protecting for the pass, but they also do such a great job of pushing guys off their path and allowing Michael Penix Jr. to have creases to step up. It doesn't have to be clean. It doesn't have to be a perfect U-shape. You know, as long as they're able to give him space to maneuver in the pocket, that's really what they're trying to accomplish. So if I'm I'm Jesse Minter, their defensive coordinator at Michigan right now, I am hesitant to make things too fancy. I think that I probably am keeping things a little bit more straightforward in my pass rush. Now, still for sure, drop drop surprise guys into coverage, send linebackers. You know, I, I think that you do want to use angles to your advantage the way that you did against Alabama. But I do expect that they're going to be just a little bit uh uh, not, I don't even want to say vanilla because because that makes this sound like they're doing just base stuff. But I do think that they're going to have a more traditional attack against Washington, uh, more in the way that you maybe saw against Ohio State, against maybe uh, Penn State earlier this season, than a team like Alabama that actually physically can, from a strength perspective, manhandle the defensive line, but does not have an agility advantage the way that Michigan did. You know, what are your thoughts on how? How much impact do you think the fact that, and now Minter wasn't there, but that Harbaugh has faced Penix before when he was at Indiana? How much of that will play into what the strategy will be for how the Wolverines take them on? That's a really good question. I haven't even looked back at that game all that much, but, uh, you know, obviously, you know, look. This was a different Michigan team, obviously. It was a weird pandemic year. And this was a very different Indiana team in 2020, especially. You know, looking back at this game, Indiana actually did beat Michigan 38 to 21. Michael Penix Jr. threw for 342 yards and three touchdowns on 50 pass attempts in this game. So anybody, by the way, who said, oh, we couldn't do it in the Big Ten. No, the thing was he could actually do it in the Big Ten, which was one of the craziest things that has ever happened. Um, You know, it's an interesting question. So... I do think, right, because because 2020 was still Don Brown running that defense and Don Brown is the pressure master. Like he is the like we're screaming guys at you from every which angle to try to get pressure. And that seems like a nightmare scenario against Michael Penix Jr. heading into this game. I I would not try that whatsoever because he is too good at identifying Mm -hmm. blitzes and he is too good at changing protections. He is too good at getting the ball out quick, finding the quick pass, finding the hot routes. So if I'm Michigan, I, I again, I obviously I think you need to, to try to mix things up in coverage to try to confuse Michael Penix Jr. But I am not sending a lot of different types of pressures, right? So I, I am not sending a lot of different types of, uh, I'm not sending many corner blitzes. I'm not sending many safety blitzes. I'm trying to keep it contained to the front seven. And the other part of it too, is obviously with Dylan Johnson potentially limited. I mean, you, you don't have to have too many players in the box down to down, right? So I'm probably trying to get, uh, I'm probably trying to get pressure with four and maybe moving who that fourth guy is from linebacker to, to defensive end and maybe dropping DNs back into coverage. But it's, I, I mean, it's complicated, right? Like he is so good at ev- avoiding pressure and 
I mean, we even saw it in these uh, in these two games on on uh, Monday, right? There were three quarterbacks who, once they got pressured, uh, they did get a little flustered. You know, they they did make mistakes. Michael Penix Jr. looks like this was just a game to him, man. Like this was nothing. And so, if I'm Jesse Minter, I am not overthinking it. And I think to go back to your question a little bit, I think that having a very pressure based defense with with a running game, by the way, for for Indiana that was okay. Stevie Scott had 97 yards and two touchdowns, but on 24 carries. Like I, I think that that is a good example of hey, we cannot pressure too much. Like I'm sure Don Brown did in that game because we need to to sit back and let our our secondary potentially go to work. Yeah, and that's a great transition because the secondary battle is going to be one that's going to be fascinating because we know the talent of Will Johnson. Mike Sanders still is a great player. I mean, he had one or two kind of, there was at least one play in that uh, Alabama game where it kind of like, oh, he might have been, especially that initial, that first touchdown, he he maybe got a, some of the blame. How much he deserved is a, is a big question in my mind because I think that <laughs> that low snap actually did, I think, startle even the Michigan off, uh, the Michigan defense. They're like, oh, wow, you know, little did they know that was going to be a trend. Um, but um Going over to uh, going over to that, we've talked about this before. I mean, Roma Dunze, you know, Jalen Polk, Jalen McMillan are great, but the rest are too. So, do you think? Do we think the secondary at Michigan has what it takes to cover everybody? Because that's the biggest problem. I mean, you can cover a couple of guys. Most teams, that's enough. I mean, the question is, you know, when we look down that roster, especially receivers, some of these guys who aren't even the best roster on Washington might be, if you switch teams, would be the best roster, the best receiver for Michigan. Um, not to take anything away from, uh, from, <laughs> from, by the way, I love the, we're going to have Roman and Rome on the same field. I can't wait Rome to see how, that, Roman, yes. how that's going to throw off some of the announcers. There should be an over, there should be a prop bet on the number of times that gets messed up. But uh, yeah. So I mean, what do you think of that? How do you think the secondary battle is going to look? I'm so curious to see, how Ryan Grubb plays this game, Washington's offensive coordinator, because I think there's a couple different ways he could choose out. You know, one that comes to mind is I'd be curious if he runs out in like one personnel, right? Just with the tight end and no running back for a lot of the game. Uh, and even even potentially in in empty, right? Like potentially going five wide. I think that's absolutely a possibility because I've said before, the issue that Washington presents is that a lot of teams have an NFL wide receiver. That's not unusual. A lot of teams have two NFL wide receivers. That probably, you know, that makes you one of the best teams in the country. Washington has three. And the other part of it, too, by the way, is you mentioned comparing Washington's receivers to Michigan's. And, and that's not how Michigan's team is built. Michigan's, you know, wide receivers are asked to do a lot of run blocking. They did a really good job of it, I, I think. But if you ask me, all three of those guys are better than anybody on Michigan's roster. I think that Jeremy Bernard has a case to be better than anybody on Michigan's roster. You know, Roman Wilson, maybe you're, you're kind of, uh, you know, saying G Giles Jackson is also somebody who I think would start for Michigan. Absolutely. And he barely plays because of how good Washington is at receiver. The other part that I'll say about this, too, though, is that Michigan is uniquely positioned to defend this because of what they have in the secondary. You know, they play. Two true corners and Will Johnson and Josh Wallace. Mike Sanders still plays a nickel corner role for them. I expect he's going to be lined up a lot against Jalen McMillan. And that's a level of being able to cause issues that I think is pretty unique. I, I don't think that Washington necessarily has played a team this year that's been able to do it to that level. And so 
I do think that uh, Ryan Grubb has the, the opportunity. You know, does he want to come out in 11 personnel, have a running back, have a tight end, Jack Westover on the field? There, there's benefits to it, but I think that coming out uh, with four wide receiver sets might be the move here, whether it is, you know, with a tight end on the field or whether it is with a running back on the field. So wh- when I look at Michigan and how they want to defend this, I, I mean, certainly I think you want to... I mean, it's so tough, right? I, I don't know. Can anybody in the country hang up for an entire game in man coverage against these receivers? Like, that's that's really tough. I think I think some of this depends on how confident Michigan is that they can at least get to the quarterback, right? Finish those plays. Get maybe it, it doesn't have to be five sacks like it was against Alabama, but, but can they get two sacks in this game? I think that's going to play a big part of it. I, I don't know what what is your feel on this game. Do you feel like do you feel like uh, Michigan's going to kind of sit back in the zone? Do you think that they're going to try to to dare their corners and nickels to man up? I mean, I it's really hard to kind of measure at this point. And by the way, adding complication to this is the fact that I mean, watch what Michigan did last week with misdirection against man coverage. Michigan's defensive backs are. I mean, this is a crazy thing to say out loud. Michigan uh, looked so much better coached than Alabama's defensive backs, which is a sentence that should never happen, by the way. But uh, so I think that they'd handle it better. But is sitting back in zone the way to attack it? I, I don't really know. No, I agree. I It's so difficult with this level of rece- receiver talent on the Washington side. You almost think zone is the best way to go. But they at the same time, I mean, Will Johnson's an exceptional defender, but there's just so many of them. I'm, I'm I'm curious to see how they do it. I, um, it's so funny when we talk about Ryan Grubb, I'm like, imagine if Alabama had hired him. Cause remember they made that go for it. Would we be seeing a very different <laughs> yeah, situation yeah. in that uh, Rose bowl? But, uh, but saying that aside for a second, um, yeah, it's been a question. I, I I'm thinking they're going to have to try some variation on zone because you just realistically, there's going to be sections of that field, but we've watched how they can cause confusion. Um, but I think, Especially when we think of what I was comparing the, the semifinals, the team that caused more confusion was actually the Michigan offense. I thought they were masters at that against Alabama. Yep, but that's yep. not who we're talking about right now. So against, uh, I, because I mean we know that they can handle a good receiver. We saw how they did with Marvin Harrison. You know they kept them under enough control that they could they could manage out the game against Ohio State. Against this team, I think they probably know that the idea of slowing this offense down to a halt is pretty much impossible. Their best bet is to limit the amount of damage that Washington offense does because, you know, Penix is Penix. He's going to find targets and they are going to run plays that are going to give them so many options to go to that inevitably some are going to get through um, no matter how well Michigan plays. I don't think realistically, given how we've seen Michigan play, they're a great defense. That's the thing. They're a great defense, but how great do they need to be? I think they need to be, you know, even at their greatest, I don't think we're going to see anything close to a shutout. I think what we're going to end up seeing is Michigan hoping that the defense slows the offense down enough that their own offense can keep up, which is a scary statement to make if you're a Wolverines fan because that that is not a that's not how they're built. That's not what they're supposed to do. But against the level of firepower that's coming on there, I just don't know. And maybe that's the hope. Their hope. Their their. I think that was the glimmer of hope for the Michigan defense. Not that they, I, I don't want to overstate that. I mean, they're a very talented group and they maybe very well could crush them, but for fans, just kind of casual fans, the fact that Dylan Johnson may not be up to uh, the full speed against them, that may at least 
create some opportunities for the defense to focus more on that passing game. And how they protect it is is up for grabs. I'm not entirely sure if I have a confident answer to it. Um, and I'm sure a lot of programs have tried. Heaven knows programs have tried. And apparently only Arizona State had the correct answer. But <laughs> no. Well, so so here's what I'll say. Okay, so I expect that Michigan's going to probably sit back in cover two for most of the game, right? Send two safeties back. Try to take away as much as possible that deep end of the field. Uh, I think that we probably do see them manning up underneath. I mean, you look at some of these coverage grades for these uh, Michigan players. I mean, it's pretty special. Mike Sanders still an 85 coverage grade per PFF. Will Johnson, 84.9. Josh Wallace, 84.6. I don't know, again, whether they're going to be able to hang every single play, but I don't think necessarily that they need to. So I think then part of the question becomes... Let's just say that's the game plan, right? That it's that it's dropping two safeties back. That it's uh, that it's potentially coming in and uh, and manning up those three receivers on the field. Maybe obviously you have to involve Junior Colson or somebody else in the in the coverage game as well. And he's a very good coverage linebacker as well. So if Dylan Johnson is limited, I guess let me ask this question: Can Washington win a matchup against seven guys dropping back into coverage? without running the ball is that something that they're able to do or is it and and i guess the flip side of that is can washington with a limited dylan johnson or one of those other two guys will nixon or tybo rogers coming in can they win against what could be one of the lightest boxes we maybe see in a long while that's a great question you know i seeing what we saw against texas Seeing the talent of those receivers, especially those who haven't followed them. I mean, Odunze is absolutely legit, as well as the rest. But watching what they can do with very small windows. I mean, that's the thing. I mean, if you're not good with the 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 the, it, the combination of Penix's accuracy with the the sheer raw talent of his receivers to make those plays and whatever whichever side is a little shy of being perfect, the others will make up for it. I think there will be opportunities, even if they are almost entirely relying on passing, for them to make those big plays. I don't think it's possible to completely shut them down because we have too much NFL-caliber talent, I mean, NFL-ready talent in that particular department for that tech, for that, pardon me, that Michigan defense to shut them down on every single play. I just don't think it's possible because while there are certainly also NFL talent on that secondary, for the Wolverines, there's going to be moments where those passes connect. And I think, especially with the talent Washington has shown with the deep ball, with Penix's just perfect throws, there are going to be moments where it's impossible to stop each one. Now, if I'm Michigan in that situation, then it becomes more of a possession game. You want to slow it down and keep that from happening, knowing that the odds are they will land a few. And then when they land one, it's not a short pass usually. It's like, oh, crap, they just made 30, you know, 35 yards. And then the yard after catch is incredible because those guys are talented on their feet. So even a few of those going through will be enough. It's almost, <laughs> it's almost like nuclear warfare. It's like you can stop as many missiles as you can, but all it takes is one or two, and you got yourself a problem on your hands. But uh, that, that's the kind of weapons they're dealing with, and I don't know if they face anything <laughs> quite like this. Yeah, for certain, this this matchup is going to be between the offense of Washington and the Michigan defense is going to be the highlight, I think, for a lot of people going into this game, only because of, of all their strengths that we've talked about and these matchups. I can't wait. 
Next, we're going to take a look at the other side when Michigan's on offense here on the College Football Survivor Show. The College Football Survivor Show, where playoff survival is always on the line. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. So flipping things around, here's where it gets interesting. Because when Michigan's on offense, I mean, we just I just said, you know, and 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 everyone's talking about how Washington's offense is gonna go against Michigan's defense. It's strength on strength in a lot of ways, um, at least in terms of overall talent level. But to me, I I am convinced this game is gonna be may it's gonna make or break itself on how the Michigan offense does against the Washington defense. There's so many aspects to it. You know, looking at it yourself, though, that's my personal opinion. How do you how do you frame this? How are you looking at this 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 battle on the other side of the ball, Shahan? Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. First of all, I think uh, in a Washington, it, it's safe to say they're going to get somewhere in the range of 25 plus points, right? Like they are not going to get shut out. Let, let's say it's 28. Michigan's defense is incredible. Washington's offense is one of the best we've ever seen as well. So let's just say. The question for this game comes down to what is our confidence in Michigan getting over 30? I think that that's probably what this kind of comes down to, or also whether they'll be able to hold Washington uh, under 30 points to one. But when I look at this matchup, I think one of the first things I think is I wish that I got 2022 Michigan's offense instead of 2023. And the reason that I say that is because 2023 Michigan has been I think just varied in a lot of ways from a, uh, you know, they've done a great job using misdirection. They've, I think, embraced the passing game and, and what it can bring to them in a different way. But they have not been as efficient running the ball as they have in recent years. I, I mean, that is just, that's just reality, right? You, you look at uh, their rushing offensive success rate. They're 41st in the country this year. Still very good. Still very productive. And they accomplish exactly what they want. Whenever they do that, uh, you know, the Parker Fleming stats of war on Twitter has this stat called echo rates, which the what it basically is, is it measures the amount of drives that it, that result in an extended drive. That That's basically what it means. So every time they have the ball, they hang on to it. They go down the field. Obviously, what they're able to do once they get there is, is obviously part of the discussion as well. But if this was a Michigan rushing offense that was as elite as it was in 2022 with Blake Corb and Donovan Edwards at the peak of their powers, I mean, Michigan might just be able to bowl over this Washington team. Washington ranks 125th nationally in rushing defensive success rates, one of the worst down-to-down rushing defenses in the country. But where they're able to actually kind of make hay is they're actually pretty good from a big defensive play perspective. They're only 22nd, actually, in EPA margin on defense. So even though they give up a lot of down-to-down success, they're able to make up for it with their big plays, with their stops, with taking advantage of opportunities. We got to see this a lot whenever Washington was playing against Texas. I mean, Braylon Trice was getting after uh, Quinn Ewers, getting after their running game, was causing them a lot of issues. And 
you know, a factor that I don't think has been talked about enough is the fact that Zach Zinter at right guard is obviously out for Michigan. It, it didn't cost them necessarily in their game against Alabama, but they weren't super efficient rushing the ball either. Uh, until overtime, they were just at about 100 yards rushing, and then Blake Quorum kind of put together those two runs in overtime that pushed them a little bit higher up, pushed them to 4.0 yards per carry, but this is not necessarily a dynamic rushing offense the way that it was. So I think the the question is, let's look at the Washington side of this for a second. They've got two guys in the middle who, one of them's 327, one of them's 292. I think they'll match up okay. I, I think that a lot of this game is going to be, what can Braylon Trice what can Edifuan Olafoshio be as run defenders as well? They've been really good getting after the passer. They've been really good at setting edges, but they're not just going to try to get to the edge. I think they're going to try to go right up the middle. That's where the Washington defense has been a little bit more suspect. So you look at the game plan that they had against Alabama. I, again, I expect the opposite. They're about to play an opposite type team than they played against Alabama. They're not going to try to go side to side. They're going to try to go right through the middle of them again, like they did against some of their Big Ten opponents earlier this year. So I, I'm very curious how this interior line is ultimately able to hold up for Michigan because they've got three. Uh, actually, they got five uh, seniors on the offensive line, right? Three of them are graduate players as well, led by center Drake Nugent. It's going to kind of come up to, look, are they able to just bowl over that Washington defensive line? Because if the game gets to the edge, I think Washington can hang on the edge. Mm -hmm. I absolutely agree. I mean, seeing what they have there, with with especially what we saw the Braylon Trice uh, effect in that game, as well as their ability to to get around that edge and, and limit Texas was something that I think was almost a little surprising for some people. And then I also think about the fact, especially the idea of charging at them and trying to out-physical them. You know, they, Oregon's tried that. Um, they've tried that a couple of times. I'm not sure. Now, it may not be the level of Michigan. I don't want to compare the two because certainly Oregon could also throw the ball around quite a bit. But that that strength, that ability to out-muscle Washington, I think is a slippery slope for some of these teams. And I think they're just going to do that. Texas certainly probably thought they could do that. And then at least open up enough space to, uh, to get that passing attack in. And to some extent, I thought Texas was successful at it. Maybe they, they didn't do it enough. I mean, uh, that first half I was like, wow, CJ Baxter is absolutely doing some great work. So it was blue. I mean, we were watching those running backs, get some great plays in there and, and see the versatility being used. So I'm wondering if Michigan can get that kind of push, can get that kind of effect again against this Washington defense, they're not, I'm not going to say they're certainly, they're not as strong as some of the other defenses that 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 Michigan has played. If you don't look at the bowl games, let, let, let's set the bowl games away for a while because we just watched what Penn State, Iowa, and Ohio State just all did in their bowl games. And it's kind of like, yeah, they're not quite the playoff games. I get that. But you're kind of like, ooh, I mean, <laughs> that, that set up some interesting questions heading into the Rose Bowl of how good this was actually going to be. Um, but I'm curious to see how that, how that if they can get that kind of pressure because I, I think – Washington's strength is, as we've as we've talked about in a previous show, they don't have a habit of necessarily putting up great numbers, but they manage to just do just enough to slow down their their opponent and and make key plays. And if they for frankly, would it be a victory 
for Washington if they force you know Michigan to rely too heavily on the running game because that's time waste. That's a time sink. This is a type of game where if Washington is getting that kind of push, if Washington's offense is scoring that enough, like in that that twenties range in that high twenties range. Michigan's got to make the most of the time they have the ball. They can't play, you know, grind out the clock. That's not going to help them. And if if Washington gets into a lead, if they get up like 14-0 or, or just if they, they keep this game moving and it's already like 14-7 or something by the end of the first quarter, I'm not sure the reliance on establishing the run game up the middle is going to help Michigan all that much. And then we're stuck in the question of do they have enough in the secondary to win? I mean, certainly... And we can talk about that next. I'm not sure if the, the secondary of Washington is not necessarily the highlight, but they can certainly play. I mean, Elijah Jackson ended the game with Texas, although he got burned earlier. Um, Jabal Muhammad's a solid guy. Dominic Hampton's a solid guy. That's a whole question there. I mean, do we think how, I mean, how willing is that Michigan offense going to be to kind of to, to throw on them a little more than maybe we expect to kind of counter the fact that I think a lot of people are expecting them to want to run uh, Blake Corum and try and get maybe a little bit more out of um, out of their running backs uh, than than they had necessarily against Alabama. Well, I, I think here's the question, kind of the other way, right? Is that for Michigan? I mean, it, obviously, if they get down 14-0 to start, that changes everything. That changes the game plan. That changes what you want to do. But if you're getting into a passing battle against Washington. Like, I, I, don't, I don't know if that's the move, right? Just because... Now, one thing that I will mention, of course, is that you saw against Alabama, they were able to use the passing game to still augment some of their short yardage stuff, right? Where they used the swing passes, where they used, you know, some of the, the, the great, you know, inside cuts sort of stuff in order to set up passing plays as well. We saw that twice, by the way, on the goal line with Roman Wilson and with Blake Corum. So maybe that's more the move is, is to try to do that. But I also, again, I look back at that Alabama game, and I think that a lot of it was to try and uh, and neutralize some of the talent of that Alabama team, right? It, it was to neutralize some of the interior players that Alabama had. It was to neutralize some of the linebackers that Alabama had. It was to neutralize some of the edge rushers that Alabama had. I don't know if that's the same against Washington, though. I, I don't know if you want to go side to side against this defense just because of, I think, uh, their issues in the middle because of their interior linebacker play because of their interior defensive tackle play. So I get what you're saying, but like, I, I mean, and I will say, I, I said, you know, heading into the Alabama game, if Michigan couldn't run the ball, which they brought ran it. Okay. But not super well. I felt like they were in trouble and, and they weren't right. I mean, they did ultimately end up winning the game. I, I think that obviously it was a very close game, but they also, would have won the game without a comeback if not for a muff punt, right? Like, like you know, there were a lot of factors in that game. I think that Michigan was clearly the better team in that game across across the day. So let's let's look at the matchups just a little bit. All right, let's look at the matchups. So again, when you look at Braylon Trice, I, I think that this is going to be a defining game for him, like I mentioned, as a run defender, because I expect that they're going to need to line him up in a lot of different places. I, I don't think that they can just have him screaming off the edge. The other part of it, too, is he's going to have to set an edge in an, in an impactful way. We, again, have seen him a lot as a pass rusher. That's primarily been his role. And I think even when they're defending the pass, you don't necessarily want to just see him as a pass rusher, especially not one 
going straight up against Michigan's tackles. I think you want him to try to get a little bit more inside, be a little bit more impactful uh, in the interior rushing game as well. And, and, you know, we've seen, obviously, you know, he played only 13 snaps this year uh, in the B-gap. I'd like to see a little bit of that potentially in this game because I think that that's the other part of it as well is I think Michigan's going to try to, uh, is going to try to use, you know, their gap running schemes to potentially create some stretch runs for themselves. And I think that having a player who's as versatile and as uh, agile as Braylon Trice can potentially be a difference maker there. But I don't know. I mean, it's a tough matchup when you look at this Washington defensive line against the Michigan offensive line. Absolutely. I think that's one of the things that I don't want to, to get lost in this. And I, and I know we, we haven't is we, we now we've talked about the Joe Moore award winning offensive line of Washington, but really Michigan's a team that most people have looked to. And I mean, short of that Zach Zinter injury, there's a lot of confidence in the fact that that offensive line is going to be one of the, if not the strongest that the, uh, I mean, that's an interesting question. Do you think they're the strongest? I think they're the strongest offensive line that, that Washington's faced at this point. I will say, I will say, Oregon is pretty damn close. I was going to say, is it Oregon? I, I think that with Zach Zinter in the lineup, it's probably uh, Michigan. Without Zach Zinter in the lineup, I might lean narrowly towards Oregon. I, I think that Oregon's probably a little better in the middle behind Jackson Powers Johnson. It, they're very close, right? And so, actually, it might be somewhat instructive to go back and look at uh, at those Oregon games, right? So looking back at the Pac-12 championship game, obviously a 34 to 31 win for for Washington, they were able to hold Oregon to just 124 rushing yards. I mean that that's obviously something that they will take. Take, I, I think that they schemed up uh, their run defense pretty well there. In the other one, a 36 to 33 win, similar deal. It, well, actually, in this game, Oregon was really able to run all over them. 40 carries, 204 yards, 127 yards for Bucky Irving, another 11 for 63 for Jordan James. So, I, look, this this Washington defense can scheme up a whole lot. We saw that against Texas. They're going to have an opportunity now against Michigan. <laughs> I, I'm curious, too. I mean, obviously, when you have an entire month off before a game and when you have 15 additional practices before one game, there's no doubt that they're working on stuff to prepare for their other two opponents as well, right? Like, like you have to just in order to take use of all that time. You're not going to plan 15 practices for one team and then run three practices for their next team. That's just not how it's going to work. So I am curious, though. Do, do you think that Washington maybe ran more to prepare for Alabama or do you think that they prepared more to prepare for Michigan or do they just try to try to keep it even, not try to assume anything? I think you could get away a little bit with splitting the difference between the two only because granted, you know, Jill Milrow as a quarterback is a very different animal than JJ McCarthy, but McCarthy was, can move on his feet and we watched him do it in some key plays against yep. Alabama. Yep. But I think practicing for those particular offensive lines um, and, and how you penetrate, how you contain, I think there's enough overlap that you could efficiently prepare for those two. Cause they were and Texas too. I mean, you almost argue that preparing for Texas was be a, I mean, what do you think? Do you think preparing for Texas was a little closer to preparing for Michigan versus preparing for Alabama? I, I'm, Ooh, I, I think that preparing for Texas is a little closer to preparing for Alabama just because of the, I, I think that Alabama 
has a little bit more dynamic receiver talent. Yeah. They're trying to go downfield yeah, on you just a yeah. little bit more. Um, whereas like Michigan, Michigan's trying to bludgeon you a little bit more, right? I, I don't think Texas is really trying to bludgeon you the same way. So I, I again I do think that playing two games against Oregon is a pretty good uh practice for what this is. And I mean, I, I let's flip the question around just for a second. I mean, Michigan has never played a team like this offensively, the, the way that they're able to uh, get the ball downfield with their quarterbacks, the way that they're able to do all that. So, I mean, I, I think, though, that like Michigan has played defenses that are structured a little more like this, that are maybe a little lighter inside and more kind of structured for the outside. I mean, I was maybe a little better than this, but like I was structured probably a little bit more like Washington's defense than maybe you know, Alabama or whoever else. And, you know, Michigan had some issues against that Iowa defense. And now I was a lot better, a lot better defensively than Washington is. I want to be clear, but, you know, Iowa was able to scheme some stuff up that gave them issues. I don't know. I, this is this is such an interesting matchup because, again, I do think that to a large extent, it is just does Washington have the ability to use different angles. And if I'm Washington, by the way, I'm studying a lot of TCU film that, because uh, that 2022 game, the way that they use different angles, the way they use their linebackers, the way they use their safeties and run supports, that was something that gave Michigan a lot of issues. I think they're going to handle it better this year regardless. But, I mean, it, it's not just necessarily that you need to have a 350-pound hoss in the middle of your line in order to counter the run against Michigan. I think that there's a lot of different ways you can attack it. I think that's one aspect that maybe perhaps is being underappreciated in this matchup. The fact that, you know, Alabama's a great I mean, Michigan's schedule is, of course, stacked up against great defenses towards the end. We saw, you know, again, Penn State, Ohio State, Iowa, Alabama, et cetera. Um, and so we saw the offense not necessarily performing at the level they were earlier this season when they were generating tons of points um, against defenses that weren't always necessarily bad, but not at the level of some of these best teams. And is Washington a team that is closer to, at least on defense, to some of those other Big Ten programs, pound for pound, in the sense that where we would perhaps see a surprise, a surprise, depending on how you look at it, of Michigan actually putting up in the 30s and perhaps even in the 40s if they really get pushed and if they need to, in those kinds of circumstances. Granted, I also want to put the caveat that we do know that a lot of that were short fields because that defense was just doing a great job of getting the ball back for uh, the offense. So I that, that part may not be there unless we start to see some really critical errors, which would be odd at this stage of the game, particularly with how well we saw that offense perform in uh, in the Sugar Bowl. But, I mean, that's another factor here. When, when Washington, had, pardon me, when Michigan has needed to, they could score quite frequently. We just kind of, I wonder if we're getting a little warped by the fact that the way that schedule was both together, we are more used to seeing, and when people were really paying attention to Michigan, those games where they were, that, that offense was, was fighting some defenses that were, quite honestly, quite stronger than this Washington defense. So one other factor to mention as well, right, is that when you look at Washington's defense, and this is something that I think really comes from playing in the Pac-12 and the type of teams that you're playing. But uh, Washington plays six true sort of uh, front seven players 
you know, they play four defensive linemen. Two of them are edge players who both stand up and, and also get down. One of them, uh, Zion Tupolu, uh, only 254, a little bit of a lighter player. Two true linebackers, but again, we've mentioned Olafoscio playing a lot outside as well. And they play uh, sort of a nickel player that they call the Husky, Michelle Powell, uh, who's also like a 200-pound, maybe like a safety-plus type player. I'm going to be very curious to see, do they run out with this 5DB look? Do they potentially consider bringing a slightly bigger player in run defense in place of Powell, or do they sit back with five? I, I mean... You know, when you talk about their safeties, I mean, Dominique Hampton is a big 220 bruising type player. Obviously, Washington has a history of great run supporting safeties. <laughs> this isn't the staff necessarily that put them together. But I mean, you, you know, Chris Peterson's just a phone call away. You know that he can help you out just a little bit. So I will be curious to kind of see what do they make any changes to their personnel? I mean, One thing I will mention, just looking back at the Oregon Conference Championship game, when you talk about as a run defender, Powell was number three on the team as a run defender per PFF grade. He had a 70 PFF grade, which is, again, they were playing Oregon. They're a really good running team. They didn't necessarily have their most amazing game, but he was somebody who was able to help. I I think that is encouraging that he was able to be pretty consistent for them as a run defender, but it's tough, man. Like, this is a. This is such a weird matchup for Washington, unlike anything that they've ever seen. And I think something that it just has to give you some optimism is that Washington did not get bowled over by Texas on either side of the ball. They were able to completely physically hold their own against a really physical team led by obviously, you know, future first round pick at left tackle, Kelvin Banks, uh, you know, who Texas has really relied on all year, a really veteran Texas offensive line led by a six year senior Christian Jones. Like there are a lot of things to like to take away from what Washington did to Texas. I mean, Texas managed to, to make it a game, but like Washington dominated that game, even physically for a lot of the game. So I like a lot of it, but I don't know. I mean, what does Blake Corum need to do in this game for Michigan to win? Is it a yardage thing? Is it a carries thing? Like, what do you think it is? Mm, I I lean a little more on uh, yardage, only because I think relying too much on carries is, a, is an ability to slow down the game. And I don't know... I don't expect the Michigan defense to do enough to allow the offense, the luxury to just, you know, take your time, stroll your way to the end zone, make your way there. I think it's going to have to be getting those runs that we started to see, especially some of those stronger runs against a tougher defense, I think. So I think watching how Quorum is employed, watching if they can get a little bit more out of the other running backs, but but just seeing how they're able to get penetration, get some some good yardage plays around the quarter or or through, I think that's going to be a bigger impact in it. Quite frankly, I was just sort of thinking as we were this discussion, and not to change it just a little bit, but there is one X factor on these two teams that gets skipped because we're so obsessed with the offense versus the defense in both directions, and that's the Michigan special teams are also going to be out there. So are they going to be, would that be, I mean, are they a potential X factor in all of this? I was actually thinking like, what could be, what's a, a plausible, like, I'm not talking like, for example, what happened, the injury to Dylan Johnson, when it happened, that was not predictable. That was not like, you don't predict for that. You don't plan for that. But 
<laughs> are we going to hear, I mean, knowing who the special teams coordinator usually isn't a good thing. Um, if, if, if casual fans start knowing who it is, especially when it's the coach's son, but um, my goodness, could they, could that be one of the other big factors in this game? Could we see either a muffed punt? I can't even imagine what the practices have been like for the going into this championship game. And you know, Washington, they're all quite aware of that is a, a glaring weak spot for Michigan. How much should we be looking to that? I mean, could we see that being a deciding factor in this game? I just I, I apologize to change a little bit, but I, we would, I feel like we have to bring it up because that could be it. We could be talking about this game afterwards and talking about like, huh, wow, it finally came to bite them at the worst possible time that everything else was right. <laughs> but my goodness, why does no one know how to catch a punt on that team? So, so I will say this. I will say this. Michigan, after t- yesterday's game, still ranks number seven in SP Plus special teams. So it was, it was like a really funny. Uh, it was obviously a really funny storyline. What happened in that game? And they were, they were not built for the moment. If I'm Michigan, I'm, I mean, they're good at coverage. Right? SP Plus special teams. It takes into account a lot. It's not just return stuff, right? It's also what you're doing in the kicking game, what you're doing in the punting game, what you're doing in coverage, but. If I'm Michigan, I'm just just put your surest handed player back there. Do not try to steal yards. Do not try to return the ball all that often. Like, don't waste your time with this, man. Like, just catch the ball. Make it easy. Fair catch every single time. Like, that's what I'm doing if I'm Michigan. Because I want to go back to something that you said. You said that you don't think that Michigan will want to shorten the game. I absolutely disagree. The more plays that are played in this game, the worse it is for Michigan. Because that's just another opportunity for Michael Penix Jr. to go and make something happen. If you are Michigan, you are trying to play this like like you're Army. You are trying to play this like you are Navy and you are playing against 2018 Oklahoma because you do not have that explosive component the same way. And that's fine. I, I worried it might not be fine. It ended up being fine. But ultimately, you want to keep the ball away from Washington's offense. You do not want your defense to be on the field. You want to wear down the Washington defense. And I think that if you are Michigan's offense, and if you're Jim Harbaugh, and if you're Sharon Moore, I think that you should gamble that the more time that we have the ball, I I think only good things can happen. Because I think that if you're saying every single down – you should be able to win most of those plays. And so ultimately, yeah, I absolutely think that they want to shorten this game. I think they absolutely want to hold on to the ball. Let let me say, I agree, but I think reality is not going to let them do that. I think they're going to be pushed into a position where they're going to have to hurry the game. And that's where, that's where I'm like, you know, they're, they're going to, in a perfect world, yeah, let's just get Corum as many touches as possible. Let's just grind our way towards the end zone. Hope our defense gets a couple of nice turnovers and go back in, just like what they were doing before. But I think the reality is that offense on the other side is going to score just enough that grinding it out isn't going to be a real option. They need to they need to keep the the clock. They need to save clock. They need to keep efficient, which is going to be exactly playing in the Washington's universe and all of this. So. That's going to be the most fascinating part, you know, how that works out. And if, and I think it's inevitable, the Michigan offense is going to have to step up and score a little quicker than they would prefer, which they did. To be fair, that end of the game against in the Rose Bowl, I think, like a lot of folks, I thought when we were in that fourth quarter, 
you know, 20 to 13, I'm like, oh, that's going to be it. I just don't see, you know, JJ stepping up because I really have never asked him to. And then lo and behold, they did. <laughs> they did. And with Corum and with, <laughs> with Rome Wilson, they, Roman Wilson, pardon me, there I did it. Oh my gosh. Uh, you know, they were, they managed to make it happen. But um, I just, I, I'm a little concerned about that. So that's why I agree with you, Shahan. I agree. They're going to, they would love to grind out clock. They would love to make this a slow game. They would love to, to get the most of it. But I think the reality is it's going to be put on them. And I'm very curious to see how they do in that position. Next, let's take a quick thought on our predictions here on the College Football Survivor Show. The College Football Survivor Show, where playoff survival is always on the line. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. This game is so utterly fascinating. The more I look at it, the more there is excitement. I look at all the stories going into it. We've talked about what's going on in the field, but I just can't get away from the fact that Michigan has had this, this weight of destiny on them, you know, years of hope that Harbaugh would get them out of the wilderness. Six frustrating years. They bottomed out in the COVID year, and then they had three years of being Ohio State, two years of falling short in the playoff, and yet here they are. And the season couldn't have been more of a sideshow if they could have asked for it. Because you have everything from COVID cheeseburgers, Connor Stallions, NFL rumors. The pressure cooker's been on. You know, pressure can break people, but they keep laying diamond after diamond. And Washington, you go, they've had their own interesting approach to it, if you think about it. Because the death throes of the Pac-12 immediately preceded the, uh, the, the, immediately preceded the beginning of this season. Then, you know... Coach Prime suddenly steals all the thunder in the entire Pac-12 for a little while. Their USC flops around. At first, you know, people were like, oh, but Washington's good. Washington's good. And then they kind of had a few, especially after the first Oregon game, they kind of dropped off the map a little bit because people, even though they won, were, were seeing games that weren't quite as impressive. But through just their ability to win, the magic of that offense under Penix, and then those amazing moments that the defense seems to generate out of nowhere – has kept them in this title game. So here we are. We're looking at it. I think ultimately, how do we predict this? We've we've had our chance to talk about it, but you know, Shahan, I'll I'll start with you. What what's your prediction for this game? How do you think ultimately things are going to play out in RG? It's such a great question. It's such a great game. We're both lucky. We're both going to get a chance to be there. It's uh it's going to be a really fun time. My first time watching a an FBS national championship game. I have seen an FCS and a Division three, so I can't say it's my first national championship game, but a, a big opportunity for sure. When I look at this matchup, I see two teams who want to change the game and define it in their own image. You, you see a Michigan team that wants to slow down the game. You see a Washington team that wants to speed up the game, that wants to go downfield, that wants to make you chase them. And I think in a lot of ways, this game could be defined in the first quarter. Now, it won't be decided in the first quarter, but I think that the pace of the game might be defined in the first quarter. So, I expect Washington to come out 
with its most trickeration-filled opening drive. I, I think they're going to go down the field early and often. They're going to make Michigan sit back and think. They're going to use side-to-side action. And I do think that they're ultimately going to get into the end zone on their first drive and take an early lead. And I think that that changes the calculus for how Michigan is able to play this game. The idea that, hey, we maybe can't actually stop them as effectively as we thought that that we could. Now, I also think that Michigan will be able to slow down the game, will be able to say, look, we don't want you to have 12 drives, because if you have 12 drives, you're going to score on six of them. If you have nine drives, maybe score on three of them. And maybe that defines how we play this game. So I still think that even so, Michigan's going to be able to take control of this game. I do not think that Washington is going to be able to stop Michigan's rushing offense consistently, especially in the middle of the field. And so I'll, I'll come to something that I think will be really important, which is red zone offense. Whichever team is able to most consistently convert in the red zone. And a big part of this is going to be whether Dylan Johnson plays in any capacity in this game. Whichever team is able to convert most consistently in the red zone, I think is going to have an opportunity uh, to, to come out and win this game. I expect an instant classic. I expect a barn burner. I expect one of the better college football playoff national championship games that we've seen in a long time. I'm going to say... Washington 31, Michigan 27. Oh, wow. That's so close to my prediction. <laughs> it's almost like we're playing prices right here. Oh, my gosh. You know, like, you're going to hear a buzzer in the background. That was the exact price. Oh, my goodness. You've won both showcase showdowns. Congratulations. <laughs> you know, I agree with so much of what you said. I think ultimately what is going to happen in practice, I think I, I, by the way, I think it's a lovely way you phrased it. That first quarter is going to set the pace for the game very fast. And I think you're right. I don't, I, I would be surprised if the first score isn't by Washington. I could still see maybe some three and out or, or some kind of unexpected first down, first drives for both teams. But once they get a chance to feel each other out, I expect Ryan Grubb to make adjustments and, and frankly, Michael Penix to know how to make plays and and then run through his receivers and find those open targets to get into that end zone and and start that Washington offense moving. I expect as well, the more I think about it, the more we've had this conversation, that Michigan offense to get it rolling on the ground, to get enough penetration, to get enough movement that they're also able to get themselves on the board. I still think ultimately what it's going to come down to is the Michigan offense just can't move fast enough. I just think what's going to come down to, it's going to turn into just enough of a race between the two offenses that Michigan's simply not built for. And that's going to be a painful one because they Michigan fans have heard that time and time again. They're built to do one thing and beat Ohio State. And then the first two playoff games, you know, the first two playoff runs, I should say, ended because it just looks like they weren't built right. First for Georgia, and then they had which was just an inexplicable number of errors against TCU that allowed TCU to take enough advantage to get past them. So this year, imagine I could see them getting in the championship game and doing well enough. I mean, again, I'm expecting these three playoff games to be the ultimate crown of the 14 playoff. We're going to say like, wow, they finished on a banger. I mean, Florida State, sorry, but they finished on just an incredible, I don't know why I keep wanting to make a Triforce triangle with my hands, but they 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 found that pyramid of success with these uh <laughs> with these four. It's not a pyramid scheme, it's a pyramid of a success with the with this final 14 playoff. But 
Ultimately, I think the Washington defense is also going to find, do what they always do, that thing that's so intangible. They're going to get a turnover that no one's going to see coming. Everyone's going like, oh, you know, oh, yeah, they do have that habit of occasionally getting a, an interception or a fumble return or, or just something that's going to create enough of a hiccup. And it's not going to be a lot of plays. It's going to be just one or two plays that are going to shock everybody and put enough of a hiccup that I think it will eventually put Michigan in a position that they simply can't catch up. And Washington will be the winner in the end. I, I My prediction was Washington 35, Michigan 28. Something they're going to get rounded. You know, they're going to they're round it out. There's not going to be too many surprises here or there. But I think we're both leading that way, um, and which is setting up a Michigan victory. But uh, <laughs> that, that's it. When both of us pick one thing, that's going to set up actually the opposite. That would be a fun one. But um, I can't wait. This is such an exciting game. I mean, there's so much to see. I've never been to Houston before, so I'm actually I'm heading there. I'm going to be there for about a week, um, enjoying the game, getting a few little visits to to some of the the, the food because you've told me a lot about it, Jahan. I'm going to also you know see a couple of museums. I'm an arts person, so I'm going to go see the Rothko Chapel, maybe visit the Rice Campus, maybe visit the Houston Campus, see a little bit of this and that. But really, it's all about the game. I can't wait to see. It. I can't wait to see the fans. It's always fun to see the fans. You know, all of them. There's all that that buzz, that excitement. Even after the game, I remember going to the hotel after TCU got absolutely obliterated and the hotel bar was still kind of hopping. It was sort of fun because the TCU fans are just kind of like, well, it was an awesome season, though. <laughs> too bad it kind of ended like that. And I think we're going to get a bit of that, too. I think, as I said at the outset of this show, both of these teams, this is a victory. This is this has been great to reach this point, even if they don't win the national championship. I think there's enough of a moral victory to get to where they got to. And I know they don't like to hear that, but I think there is going to be quite a bit of that, particularly Washington, because they're really going to feel like, you know, they may not have Penix back next year, but they're going to be able to, they're, I think, especially geared without, you know, necessarily the the, the dark clouds of what might be hovering above the Michigan program uh, about, you know, some of the things that happened off the field. It's going to be a lot of excitement. It's going to be a lot of energy. I cannot wait for it. And, um, you know, just want to take a second to thank all of you for listening to us. Um, this has been a fun season so far. We got a lot more to, you know, we got one big game coming up. I can't wait to talk more about it, but wanted to take a second to thank our producer, Joey Alberti, who's been there for us and helped us get this show moving. Um, I wanted to to just get, if you get a chance, like, rate, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You can find us on X and TikTok at CFB Survivor Show. Ishayan Jayaraja, you can find his work at CBSSports.com and at Shayan Jayaraja on X and TikTok. I'm Bob Akairi, a part of the team that runs RCFB on Reddit. And we cannot wait to talk more about this game once it's over. So take care, everybody. The College Football Survivor Show, where playoff survival is always on the line.